You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Hi, I'm Monica Torriello, an editor with McKinsey Publishing. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Our topic for today is one that I think most people will have an opinion about because it's something that people do fairly regularly, and that is grocery shopping. More specifically, we'll be talking about the future of grocery, how stores will change, how the shopping experience might be different, how consumers' purchasing habits will evolve, and how the grocery business could adapt and innovate. Here to share their expertise with us are two McKinsey partners based in the London office who have been studying the global grocery market for several years now. Between the two of them, they've worked with retailers on almost every continent. First, we have Jessica Moulton, who moved to the UK from the United States in 2010 and now leads our consumer practice hub in the UK and Ireland. Thanks for joining us today, Jessica. Thanks for having me, Monica. And Louise Herring is from the UK, but has served retail clients all across Europe. We're glad to have you here with us, Louise. Thanks, Monica. Really happy to be here. Let's start with the basics of grocery retailing. It's always been a tough business, right? Thin margins, high fixed costs, perishable products with different handling requirements, different temperature requirements, and so on. And it's different everywhere. So what works in the United States doesn't necessarily work in the UK or in Japan or in Africa. But is it fair to say that the grocery business has gotten even tougher in recent years? It really has. Um, and in many markets, as, as competition has increased. So discounters in particular have prov- proven a success story across multiple markets and are continuing to take share fast in many. Even in the UK, where they've been late to the market, they, they've really cracked the formula for growth um, in recent years. And in addition to that, there's new technologies, a proliferation of supply of different formats. And all of that means that customers have more choice of where to shop. And together with increasingly busy lifestyles, leads to fragmentation of where they shop that, that all the grocers have to respond to. So let's look at the UK grocery sector in particular. As you've said, there's pressure on revenue due to intense competition. Grocers have high fixed costs, and in turn, that leads to cost cutting, which has hampered innovation. And I've heard you describe this situation as a downward spiral. Is that downward spiral happening in all developed markets, or is that unique to the UK? Well, it's happening in a number of markets. I think the grocery challenges in the UK are particularly acute for a couple of reasons. The first is because the UK was very early to the online trend, and the second is because it was very late to the growth of discounters in Europe. And as a result, we have a set of players here who once had industry-leading profit margins, but they've now dropped by 40%. And that means that the current ROIC of the industry is about half the cost of capital. Uh, To put that in perspective, the ROIC at a fast-moving consumer goods company is typically around 15, and today here in the UK, they're at about four. So that's a really dramatic change in a short period of time. What we face in the UK is really quite an acute problem of operating model deleverage because of how high the fixed costs are in retail. So for every pound that a grocer loses, it doesn't just lose the two pence of profit, it actually loses 24 pence. That's a 12 times multiplier, very difficult for the retailers to manage. So those numbers are stark. And one of the ways to reverse this downward trend is what you've called supersuiting employees dramatically improving their productivity, basically through technology. What are the most promising technologies that you've seen in action at grocery retailers? There's a whole range of technologies available, and it's not just in those immediately obvious places. So for example, 
Automation and robotics is a powerful lever to pull in the back office as well as in stores. If I start with the back office as an example, robotic process automation, which is where code is used to run repetitive, rule-driven work, has been a big trend in financial services. And actually, if you look across industries, has real applicability um, in head office functions and retail as well. And the numbers can be big, 30 to 60% time savings on applicable tasks. So when you combine that, with the advanced analytics uh, and the, the rise in technologies there, that actually gives employees the super suit that we refer to um, and a chance to really focus on what matters. In stores, there's a whole plethora of technologies uh, becoming available as well. So you have shelf stacking robots, store cleaning robots, the types of technologies trialed through Amazon Go. The returns are all available there, but retailers are in the process of thinking through how, how to plug those into the IT infrastructures, their roadmaps, and really to work out, do they want to be leaders or, or followers in that game? Talk a little bit about automation in the back office. It sounds like retailers have been a little late to the game on that. Why is that, do you think? I think I'd flip it and say it's more financial services have been the first adopters rather than retailers have been late. Uh, financial services lends itself, I think, to this, particularly because they're the, the costs are particularly high and, and many of the processes are more standardized. So there's a, a more obvious immediate opportunity in automation. But when you look across some of the functions such as finance uh, to, to pick on one, there's no reason why some of the technologies that can't work in a, fi in a financial services world couldn't also apply to many of the um, retailers uh, that we have around the world. And I suggest there's a number of retail specific functions that could be really transformed by this as well. Obviously, a lot of category management organizations have a lot of their time eaten up with very repeatable processes. Um, if they could automate a higher percentage of those, they could spend a greater percentage of their time on things that would really be value-adding for the business and their customers. Louise, you mentioned Amazon Go and this concept of having no people at checkout, no cashiers at all, right? You walk in, you pick up what you want, and you walk out. And I know they've run into some hiccups, but is that where you see retail going? The important thing as far as Amazon Go is concerned is that they're really looking to answer that right question. They, they aren't thinking about how do you take just another second of the checkout experience, which has been the focus to the past and, and has real value to, attached to it. They've really asked the question of how do you remove the checkout entirely, which has massive benefits both on the labor task, 30% of the labor task in store, and it's one of the top pain points in the shopping experience for customers. So I think it's the right question to be answering and the right approach. Which is the right technology, only time will tell, but it, it's the place to be focusing. One other thing you've done is prodded retailers to take a long, hard look at their real estate portfolio. What are some examples of companies that have made creative use of their real estate? If you take one of the most uh, immediate levers and an important one, it's to put tenants in store. Um, and actually, that's something that, that is being a lever that's being pulled by many of the UK retailers today. Uh, and it adds services to customers, it's an income stream for the retailers, so it's, it's something of a win-win. I think some of the really intriguing recent developments in the market, however, are where the retailers are putting residential in as part of their offer. So that's incorporating the development of hundreds of flats uh, with a rebuild, for example. And what's exciting about that is it creates real value for the retailer, it gives some capital to help fund the right sizing of the portfolio and of the stores, and I think provides at least part of the solution for the current housing shortage in the UK. So the real question then becomes, how big can you go? Um, we think that the retailers need to look across their entire portfolio 
with this type of thinking to really unlock the value to deal with the tale of more challenging stores. Most likely that'll need uh, partnerships uh, in order to do that at scale. So land developers, they have the balance sheet to make change happen. They have capabilities and relationships with local authorities and so on um, to really help the retailers extract maximum value at pace. Let's talk about online because e-commerce has been a factor in grocery mostly in the UK and in France. Do you think those countries will be maintaining their leadership position in that arena going forward? Yes, we think UK and France will maintain their leadership position, but that's because they're so far out in front. And meanwhile, we expect there'll be considerable growth in online grocery in other countries as well. And the reason for this is because of the really clear consumer demand for it. So in the UK, online has been growing at 10 or 12% for many years, and we see no signs of that changing. It's going to grow at a similar rate for the near future. Um, you know, the consumer demand is, is super clear, especially amongst families and amongst millennials. So this trend will continue. The real challenge in the space is the economics to the supply. And the UK is different because the competitors all rushed when they saw each other entering the market. That hasn't happened in many other markets around the globe. We suspect that we will see more competition coming into the space as technology reduces the cost to delivery and the cost to pick. Um, and frankly, as the grocery market continues to mature and competitors feel that they need the source of additional growth. So delivery costs remain high. The last mile challenge remains a big one. What are some of the innovative ways that retailers have risen to that challenge? First, let me spend a moment more on the financial challenge. So for each 80-pound basket, grocers have to pay about five pounds for someone to pick the items off the shelf and at least another five pounds for someone to deliver it. Often that figure is higher, maybe around eight pounds. So obviously that 11 pounds or more is far more than the delivery fee. This is um, uh, quite a challenge uh, for the grocers. Uh, they've attempting to solve it through a number of means. Um, uh, the biggest one is by trying to increase drop density. And there are some interesting models out there that assist in this. One we think is particularly interesting is the Milkman model, which is being used by a small company called Picnic in the Netherlands that offers only two slots per week to the customer instead of uh, the typical 24 or 32. And so with that kind of um, reduction in choice for the customer, they're able to get their drop density up to 14 drops per hour, which is seven times higher than the UK average. So that's really quite transformative. So there's a number of models out there. We think we'll see a lot more activity in this space, particularly as third-party delivery companies um, continue to evolve and develop and are able to offer increasingly um, dense networks. We're experimenting in China, where Digital McKinsey is developing an app that's helping merchants link up with logistics companies and also trucking fleets in order to share their capacity. And we think this will allow fleet costs to be reduced by as much as 30%, and it will also avoid canceled orders and other customer frustration. One of the things that's interesting is that food-related digital engagement is very high whether it's people watching cooking shows or how-to videos or sharing recipes online. And certainly people seem more interested in their food than they've ever been before. What are some ways do you think that grocers can capitalize on this? I think that that is one of the, the biggest questions facing the grocers right now. As you say, people are really engaging. But on the other hand, only 15% of customers say that they actually enjoy food shopping. And I think that's at the heart of uh, one of the aspects that needs to change. And to do that means bringing innovation into the market, finding new ways to engage customers and really help them rediscover the joys of shopping. 
retailers can take inspiration from the digital world, from the design world, um, and use principles to pick up the pace of, of the innovation that they're trying in store and the reliability of that innovation. By that, uh, I mean create ideas at pace, quickly build multiple ideas to test, use stores as real-time test beds, throw ideas away fast, replace them with new ones where they don't work, um, and really making sure that they're critically identifying and scaling the, the gems that drop out of that process. Um, and doing this well means bringing together a whole bunch of areas of expertise. So customer insights, store operations experts, even people who are, um, are CapEx experts to think about how to do all of this in as lean a way as possible. Um, and to make sure that any ideas that are scaled uh, are tenable, given that there's a, a cash-constrained world right now. Many grocers are facing price pressure, as we have discussed, from many different angles. Um, many of their responses have been to therefore take a lot of the um, joy of discovery and um, innovation out of their stores. Big answer here is to look to return to it in cost-effective ways and in wise ways, doing plenty of testing and learning to make sure there's no overinvestment. It is, is really important to bring more innovation back. We suspect that consumers are looking for it, craving it even. We know that online is not a great place for food discovery, and it's really hard to imagine how it ever will be. Most discovery, particularly of fresh, it will have to happen in person. And so that's a great sustainable competitive advantage for the grocers. We suspect there's a lot of opportunity for them to re-embrace that and bring more innovation back into the store, more excitement, more day-to-day -day enjoyment of food. Uh, you know, consumers are clearly telling us that food is really important to them. We think this um, means there's more opportunity for grocers than they're using today. In terms of gems, I think if you look abroad, uh, you can start to get some of the ideas. So for example, out in the Netherlands, having displays of products for inspiration for dinner for tonight, where you can pick up all the components in one go. Um, and make it very easy for customers running in and out um, with, with little preconception of what they really want other than a nice meal. In the States, food service, I think, has been taken to a different level to, to what you would see um, here in the UK. There's so much demand for, for immediate food, food for tonight, that that has to be an exciting area to be looking at. How concerned do you think retailers should be about manufacturers going direct to the consumer? We'll see more of this, particularly in the higher margin categories, uh, which of course puts retail, the grocers, under more pressure. Because really the underlying question becomes what's best for the consumer. The big shifts that you get in online hinge around delivering price advantages, reduced friction, or both. Um, and if those factors are there for going direct, whether overall to certain customer groups and certain occasions, I would expect it to really scale. From a retail point of view then, it becomes critical to keep the customer front and center and be really clear on where they're adding value and where there's challenges that they need to uh, innovate their way around. Any category with high emotional engagement from the consumer is more likely to go direct to consumer. The um, industry we see um, changing the fastest in this space is clearly beauty. Vitamins are very online these days, but there are a set that will not go online, or at least will be real laggards in doing so, and they can be mainstays for the traditional grocers. Fresh is the really obvious mm -hmm. category of critical importance. Um, uh, it always has been central to grocers' success, and we think it will only be more so over time.
Can either of you talk about a personal experience that you've had in a grocery store or with a grocery retailer that you feel embodies the kind of service or the kind of experience that consumers should have on a weekly basis as they do their grocery shopping? So one of the great strengths of grocery is it's a part of most consumers' weekly lives. It's a weekly shopping experience, maybe it's more frequent than that. Um, well, it's taken on particular importance in my household because my three-year-old has decided um, uh, that she's just fallen in love with grocery shopping. And we now have a new Sunday tradition where my three-year-old and my six-year-old both get to choose three items in our local grocery store. Um, and it's such a pleasure because we end up going at the same time every morning and there's some of the same staff members who are there who now recognize my three and six-year-olds and you know greet them and encourage them as they make these you know, three powerful choices. And it's such a neat example of um, how a grocer can be a part of a family's weekly experience. Really important to my three-year-old, but you know what, it's really important to me too. For me, and, and grocery shopping, there's so many of the little things that matter. When our home shopping is delivered, I can hear the difference it makes when my husband opens the door and I'm desperately juggling the baby upstairs. The, the delivery man is so polite and enthusiastic and so on to see my husband and hand over the food. It, it makes a big difference. The question really for me is how to get those little moments throughout the store. What do you think is the most important piece of advice that a grocery CEO should keep in mind? It's that you've got to move and it might sound a bit trite, but the consumer is changing fast. We see a lot of grocers not keeping up with that rate of change but they've got a tremendous base of assets to leverage, a lot of competitive advantage, a lot of staying power. And they've also got the great benefit of grocery shopping being a weekly occurrence. So this is a category in which you get trial and retrial and you get to come back to your consumer and um, get them to reevaluate you. We think a lot of grocers could be doing more to focus on the um, love consumers have of, of the food categories they're in, um, all the competitive advantages that they have in sourcing and in delivering a great in-store experience, and take that further. This is not a market where you can shrink to greatness. So the real question is, what is the unlock? What is the innovation that's going to keep customers engaged, as Jess was just describing, um, and make them re-love shopping? That's a lot for grocery CEOs to think about, and we'll end here. Thanks very much, Jessica and Louise, for your time today, and thanks to all of you for listening. For more of our latest thinking on the retail industry, please visit McKinsey.com. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people, and our latest thinking, visit us at McKinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.